Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, September 28th, 2019. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. Well, it's a Saturday afternoon, my time, and we've got uh, an interesting group of guests planned today, but I would like to start with Terry Terrence. Terry, how are you? Okay, Tom, how are you? It's the end of the summer. I'm starting to feel like it's the end of the summer. Now, you have you have some interesting news from the hobby. You are doing a seminar, a session at a local convention, and then you are showing your layout in very special circumstances. Would you like to yes. introduce what is going on? The Potomac Division of NMRA and the James River Division of NMRA are holding a joint meeting on November 16th in Warrington, Virginia, which is nearby here. And I'm doing a clinic on the design and construction of my layout. And then in the afternoon, I'm doing an open house. And that will be probably the last run of my layout in its current location. Whether it ever arises again, I don't know yet. But um, um, we're going to be moving it can't stay in the house. Basically, that's the bottom line. Yeah. We've talked about this historically with a number of guests associated with moving and taking the layout. And my sense with your layout is you've put time into various components. I mean, a lot of it is track work um, from what you've told mm-hmm. me. So mm-hmm. in terms of what are you what you are going to salvage, obviously, you've got a wide variety of locomotives and rolling stock. Do you have any key structures on your layout currently that are, are going to be salvaged? No, no, they're all under the layout, still as kits. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, yes, uh, the layout was originally designed to come apart. Uh, it's not modular or anything, but it was designed to come apart because 13 years ago, we only intended to stay in this house for two years mm. uh, and then move on. But that didn't quite happen that way. So most of the layout was built in about seven foot by three foot sections. And uh, if in theory, if I cut through the rail and the sub road bed, I should be able to unbolt it and take it apart. But we shall see. The basement has a walkout double door. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I have to snake it up a stairway, which is a good thing since the stairway has a right angle bend in it. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. And I'm going to try and salvage it. But whether it can ever get reassembled, you one of the problems with building a basement filling layout is that it fills the basement. <laughs> this this basement. Yes. <laughs> not any arbitrary basement I may move into. So we shall see. Uh, one of the criteria for looking for a new abode is a basement of roughly the same size. Interesting. Um, so that, you know, I can keep most all of the layout. But, of course, it's designed to go around the obstacles in this basement. And who knows where the obstacles in a new basement will be. Now, when I heard about this, I had just landed in the UK. And it's certainly in my calendar I have one event in Los Angeles that might stop me from coming. So I'm getting ready to work out when to buy the tickets. But the the hamlet that you live in, the area that you live in, and in particular where the local 
uh, where these two, as you say, these two uh, NMRA groups are meeting, still has a number of really nice Airbnb offerings. So I'm looking at it as a, a few days out of the office, if, if I can make it. But I am looking forward to, to the potential of, of seeing you on location. And my understanding from an email you sent out last week is a number of folks who have participated in Model Rail Radio have also been specially invited to this, uh, what would one call it, layout last run, I guess. Yes, um, it, is, it is the last run, in fact. Uh, yeah, I invited Jim Lincoln, Jim Gore, mm. um, Marty McGurk. There, Bernie Kempinski, you know, yes. Bernie Kempinski. Well, Marty and Bernie are local, but yes. they haven't seen my layout either. Interesting. Um, Jim has, but he saw it way back when, before the main line was completed. So it would be largely new to him. But, um, yeah, and Jim Jim Gore didn't see it, even though he was here last summer for the convention. Certainly. Because I had to take my layout off the tour because I had not had time to get it ready. So if Jim comes, it'll be new to him as well. Yes. As well as, as new to you. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. And I think certainly the O-Scale National was just, I, I went to the Narrow Gauge Convention uh, as well this year, and I thought if only the Narrow Gauge Convention this year had been more like the O-Scale National, although there were a number of really interesting clinics, but and certainly a number of interesting layouts as well. Uh, but I just have such fond memories of the Oscar National last year. And yeah, it's only been the year anniversary recently. So for mm-hmm. folks that are coming to see you all out for the first and last time, are you going to be operating it? What kind, what kind of stuff should people be, pay particular attention to when they come and see you all out? Well, it's, it's probably we're going to have two trains orbiting. Mm. Um, unless, well, I'm going to have some help to run the layout, but right now the minimum would be two trains orbiting, one eastbound, one westbound. I hope to have a long cold drag and potentially a passenger train. Mm. I don't know which, which one will be going in which direction, <laughs> but um, that that's the plan. I'm going to try and finish a couple of scenic areas. Mm over the next month to get an idea of what it would have looked like if it had been fully scenic. And the other thing I'm going to try to do before the layout is disassembled is to get the um, NMRA electrical engineer achievement mm. certificate completed. But now whether I can pull that off or not, I don't know, but so we'll see. You live very well, you live relatively close to Dave Vaughan and obviously Dave Vaughan's layout is made up of the layouts of many other folk. Has Dave Ford expressed an interest in, in taking some of your track and installing it in his lab? No, he's he's expressed an interest to help me disassemble it, uh-huh. um, since he has disassembled several Wonderful. several layouts. But um, you know, I'm going to keep all the pieces against the day that I can reassemble it. So you know, he's he's going to have to wait. <laughs> so let's talk about O scale. I mean, I think the. Uh, Model Railroad uh, had uh, an article, I think, either this issue or last issue, associated with two rail standard O scale in a smaller space, with the view that it is possible to to do this. Given that you're looking for a basement to refill in any interim, if you were to set up O scale, uh, an O scale, a small O scale layout as an homage to your current layout, do you have thoughts about how you would do this? Would you do it as a a shelf or something like that? Well, I am making some contingency plans against the fact that 
either we don't find a house with a with a suitable basement or um i have some other limitations mm-hmm. that might uh, prevent me from reassembling the layout so i'm sort of thinking along the lay the lines of a shelf switching layout mm-hmm. if i have to downsize and that wouldn't be too difficult i have a couple of uh of b&o dockside locomotives and um if you remember many years ago, you had a contest of design, a 32-square-foot layout. I still have that design, and it's, <laughs> it's not bad. It's not, Wonderful. not at all bad. I'm, I'm very ha- happy with the way it turned out. And I have a couple of leftover grid sections from uh, building my existing layout out in the shed outdoors, and um, they, would, they would do nicely as the basis for a, a shelf-based switching layout. Mm. Yes, we need to run another layout design contest. I need to get in contact with uh, Ron Kleiss because I think we're we're up to that point where we should start and run another one. But uh, within O scale, what what do you think? I mean, this is almost like a conversation that I had with a professor many years ago. What do you think the size limitations for an O scale shelf layout are? Are there any, or just in terms of the size of the locomotives, the size of the rolling stock? What would you think your minimum requirements would be for a shelf layout? If you are well, maybe you come at it the other way. What are your what is your space available, and what can you fit in that space? If you are willing to accept smaller locomotives and forty foot cars, uh, you can do quite a bit. I forget what the exact numbers on the uh, layout I designed, but it it had a capacity of well over thirty. 30 switching spots mm. and the the one limiting factor was it only had one runaround for one car and one short locomotive yes. which could be something like a diesel s2 or a four or six wheel um saddle tank uh, saddle tank steamer uh and there are many many prototypes you can base it on for instance you could base it on I'm going to go from my New York City heritage to Brooklyn Eastern <laughs> District Terminal. Oh, yes. Which was a, a really, you know, I think it was what with professors Brooklyn 3 a.m. would be the analog. Certainly. So there are many, many different uh, uh, prototypes you could base it on. Another one might be um, one I've recently done some searching on was the um, – Clarendon and Pittsford in Vermont mm. was a switching railroad of the Vermont Marble Company. Interesting. And it existed up until, I guess, the early part of, uh, or I'm sorry, the latter part of the 20th century. Gosh. And um, it used uh, six-wheel uh, steamers, very short but stoutly built mm-hmm. flat cars for hauling around blocks of marble. And um, it, I think... All told, it was only 18 miles long, maybe not even that much. I'd have to go back and look at my my notebook on the subject. As a um, curiosity, when when I was uh, courting my wife, we took a, a ride on what was left of the CLP, mm-hmm. uh, which was being run as a tourist railroad back in the day. And uh, that's what sparked my interest in it or rekindled my interest in it. <laughs> So there are many, many interesting prototypes you can do in a very, very small space on a shelf layout in O scale. 
the Clarendon and Pittsburgh would be very interesting because it was effectively a linear railroad from uh, north to south uh, through West Rutland in Vermont mm. and past the, um, the Vermont Marble uh, Factory in Proctor, Vermont. So uh, a linear shelf layout would be uh, quite appropriate. Certainly. Well, Terry, it sounds like you've you've got a busy few weeks leading up to uh, November, and then obviously a busy few weeks <laughs> disassembling your lap. But I'm really pleased to hear that you've uh, got Dave Vaughan working with you because. If anyone can disassemble a layout, it's probably Dave Vaughan. So, right. <laughs> a good person to have on hand. Thank you for calling in, Terry. It's always a okay. pleasure chatting. Please down the line. I know Clark Kooning's here and he'd like to chat with you in the chat. So you've got a few things to do. But if anything comes up, you know how we do things. Thank you very much for calling in today. Okay, Tom. Thank you. Take care. I would like to welcome on Darren Johns, a.k.a. Dazzy J. For folks who've seen him on the Facebook page, he is a prolific poster, and I have invited him on today. Well, actually, I've been trying to get him on for many recordings, but finally, the moons have aligned, and we have on Dazzy J. For folks listening in, you have so many aspects to the model railroading hobby that you promote through YouTube and also, obviously, through the Facebook group and these kind of things. Can you introduce how you got interested in model railroading? How far would you like me to go back? At the um, beginning. Let's go back to the start. How, okay. how did you get very, interested very, in model railroading? The very humble beginnings. I was, I'm currently 44 years of age, but when I was probably four to five years of age, uh, my grandparents lived, we were South Australians in the, mm-hmm. the Southern Hemisphere. So they lived on the, the line that goes between Adelaide and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So they live across the road from the railways. So I'd go across the road with my grandpa and we would watch trains. Uh, he had a HO layout at that point in time, also in his shed, which was predominantly um, Santa Fe mm. and American railways. Interesting. And a little bit of European. So my passion for trains grew from then to a full-time obsession as it is now. A full-time obsession. Interesting. <laughs> so Just about. Let's talk a little bit because, I mean, we are almost contemporaries a couple of years either way. And I certainly remember South Australia in a similar time frame. Can you talk about the kinds of locomotives that were carrying passengers at that time in South Australia? Predominantly the the 930 class. Um, at that point in time, South Australian Railways, is my understanding, was still in operation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a little bit different now. Everything's sort of more commercialised, I suppose, with only a few different companies that actually run the trains in South Australia, but predominantly uh, the 930 class, what I can recall. Um, so obviously I do have some of them on my layout that uh, that are running. And I mean, one of the things I've talked about through this recording over the past 10 years is how Australia in particular, model railroading Australian prototypes in Australia, up until really the past decade, maybe 15 years, required you to do a lot of scratch building. Was that your experience growing up as a model railroader? To be quite honest with you, it's only been of recent times that I've gone back to my uh, railroading roots, purely on that fact because there was so much scratch building and I didn't believe at that point in time I had the requisite skills to be able to do that. Mm. Um, There's a few companies in South Australia that actually do 
uh, ready to run stock or exactly. resin kits. There's one particular one that was a, a store at Victor Harbour called Strath Models. Um, so Paul from Strath Models, he does quite a, a number of resin kits that you can sand up, put together that come up very, very nicely. But at more of recent times, the ready to run kits for South Australian railways is, uh, I don't know if you know Don, Don and Des, obviously. I do. That used to work at. I do. Uh, Orient Express. Express. That's how I met that crew. It's hard to really describe the Orient Express for folks that live anywhere outside Australia because they have, as you say, made ready-to-run South Australian prototype rolling stock, at least. Have they made any locomotives or is it just rolling stock? Uh, only rolling stock at this point in time. They right. first started out with freight, yeah, uh, freight stock and now they're into what we call a centenary class uh, passenger stock. Yeah. But they release something, what, every six months, basically? Pretty much, yeah. That's only with been in oh, the last five or seven years, maybe Certainly. more. Um, he's actually done that. But they're, lo- they're quite lovely models, uh, they're quite good quality. Models. Yeah. And in terms of what it has done for South Australian prototype model railroaders, just, I mean, I guess there was a historic, obviously there's a historic scratch building community that would, could disassemble a wide variety of Cato mechs and Atlas mechs and, and produce Pretty these much, locomotives. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit. You've described your, your, your humble beginnings. Let's talk about how you got back into the hobby and the various aspects of the hobby that you are passionate about. So move forward probably only five or seven years, my father and I decided that we'd get back into the hobby. Uh, very long before I was born, he was into American brass. Um, we uh, ended up in Brisbane. Dad sold up all his American brass. So mm-hmm. moving forward from that, we got into something totally different. Uh, eras, sort of one to three European uh, steam locomotives. So that's sort of where I'm at at this point in time. Right. Probably on the back of the Orient Express because that's predominantly what he has in that store. Yeah, Mark. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we've... Don't actually have any Markland brand. I've got Brara, Roco, and Fleischmann are the predominantly the brands that I have. Okay. But sort of from there, I've then I branched out into my South Australian stuff because it was, it was my heritage. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to run that on my local, uh, on my my railway. Most definitely. Um, you could uh, you could probably argue I'm the penultimate freelancer. If I like <laughs> the look of it, I'll run. I, I will I will run it. So to uh, the disgust of some people, unfortunately. But anyway, that's. Uh, the way I look at it, I say it's my railway. It's I'll your hobby. do as I want. Exactly. So, so from that, I I met my wife, and obviously things go in the courtship years go go to the wayside a little bit. Um, we we bought a house in the southern suburbs of Adelaide, and I put together my first real railway, and that's where Des comes into it. He literally, unbeknown to me, lived around the corner, so he used mm. to come and help me out uh, quite regularly. I'm a shift worker, so I have quite a lot of days off during the week, so. Um, so we went from there. So I was probably there building that layout five to seven years to sort of hone my, my modeling skills at that point in time. Um, uh, we decided we my wife and I to start a family, but then we ended up moving into a rural town in Adelaide Hills. Mm. Then with that, I wanted to build my dream layout room. So I have done that, um, which <laughs> encompasses a, the, the actual shed portion is, uh, 10 metres by 18 metres in metric terms, um, but the actual railway portion is uh, a 9 by, nine by 10, uh, fully lined, air-conditioned and the like. So Wonderful. That's where I started building my my current railroad empire. And a combination of 
European Steam and Australian Prototype. Correct. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm sort of all over the shop. So I sort of, model row rating, as you know, is just so unique. You know, I, I'm the sort of person not getting, not getting bored is quite the right term, but I sort of, <laughs> I move all, I move all around the place. So yes. currently, um, I am dabbling with some craftsman kits, which are American kits. So mm-hmm. you think American, European, how does that all fit together? But I'm trying to work out ways how to Europeanize these, these kits. So I've got, Currently, I'm doing a video on my very first attempt at a craftsman kit, which has been interesting. So, um, which has been good, yeah. So, other than that, my other passion is electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, I run a a German program called Train Controller, which is pretty well a full automation of a model railway. Mm. I can run I can run trains from anywhere from fully automatic to fully manual with collision avoidance measures put in so I don't run trains into each other, obviously. Um, so that's been a very, very steep learning curve. I've met a, a very interesting gentleman. He, I've never met him. I've never, well, not met him face-to-face. Uh, I have never spoken to this man. I just met on uh, their forum, and we email probably just about once a week, sometimes more. Um, the beauty of this program is it's got a lot of coding that you put in into it to to make it work the way we want to do. And mm. he's uh, uh, very much a computer buff, so his computer mind is well beyond mine. So I just send a file off to him and tell him what I want to do, and he says, "Well, we need to do this, that, and other." And uh, he sends it back, and I, I actually run it live on, on on the layout, and then he can see it sometimes in real time, depending on our uh, time differences, because he lives in Munich at this point in time. So. So that's uh, my my train controller. Aspect. Can we talk a little uh, bit? I, I'm familiar with train controller for the brief period that it had a Mac offering, which would have been ten, maybe 10, well, around the same time that I started this very podcast, actually, because it yeah. enabled you to actually you could design a layout and then simulate the layout before you'd even built it. And that is correct. It's a very powerful package in that light, and it's something that it I can't is. understand why more like why it is so unique in the space because it seems everything it does seems to be perfectly obvious <laughs> as you yeah as that's you, correct can you talk a little bit about it as a software and also i i found it remarkable that it has such a huge bearing in in kind of the german speaking world but has not really crossed over uh into the english speaking world can you talk a little bit about it sure um, you're exactly right. It's got a, a lovely little function that it, it's called the simulator. So you can pretty well draw your whole track plan up and you can run this simulator that sits in the background and the, the layout on the screen will run as if you are running a live layout. So the way it works, it's all occupancy detection mm-hmm. uh, on your various blocks. And so you set them up with various DCC addresses. There's obviously a myriad of different uh, types of detection devices you can use. So obviously a bit much to go into something like this. But um, you, so you can set up what they call schedule. So a schedule is pretty well a train that's going to run from point A to point B mm-hmm. and then C to D and, and so on. So you can actually simulate what it's going to do on your live layout, even before you build the layout, effectively. Yes. So it's um, hence this is how I we this German gentleman and myself will run the layout because he's obviously not 
uh, able to come to Australia to run my layout, but he'll run it on the simulator mode in the background mm. and it'll mimic how it's going to run on my layout. So obviously there's a myriad of things that in sitting behind that on a real layout, I've had a few issues regarding false occupancies to do due to the various um, componentry that I'm using. So, um, which you can't, can't replicate in the, the, on the, the, uh, on the computer. So, so that, that's, that's probably the, the beauty of it. I, I, I can't speak for why it hasn't come across into more the American and the, the British, um, fans out there. The only thing maybe I could put it down to it's at a reasonably expensive piece of kit, but for what it can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's an amazing piece of software. So unfortunately, I got the what they call the train controller gold version, which is the all the bells and whistles <laughs> that can go along. And in Australian dollars, it's nearly pushing a thousand dollars. So Gosh. that's probably the probably the biggest thing <laughs> I would think that would the be Mac putting Fuji people was off expensive, it. but it wasn't quite that expensive. And yeah, I used that's to, obviously yeah with the Australian dollar. It is as it is currently. Uh, the American dollar is obviously a lot stronger, so yeah, wouldn't be quite that. And obviously to the British pound, but um, the the layout, or sorry, the the software designer, and what's going on with the whole Brexit issues as well. There's been a lot of commentary around that, so he's very staunch to keep the the EU together, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So now we're going off the political. <laughs> if political we get there, we, here, but, I normally um, edit it out, so I'll work out yeah. what we do with this one. Um, yeah, but you so know, I, 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 think, won't, I won't I won't name yeah. names or anything, but that's why I think, from a British point of view, that maybe not coming across as predominantly. Well, I mean, there is the a software few... existed. The software existed ten years ago. Enable. I can't recall. It was relatively steep. I don't think it would have been more than a hundred US dollars for the component that I bought. But it was specifically the nature that I had a separate track design package where I could design track. And then what I do prior to finding the software is I print it out and move American pennies through the layout to find bottlenecks and these kind of things. And the software replaced that and enabled me to say, you know, this size locomotive, this size rolling stock. And then as you say, simulate it accordingly. Now, we've, cool. we've got a packed show, unfortunately, Darren. We've got a lot of people cool. on, and one part that I wanted to talk to you about is associated with video and getting the hobby out yes. through video. Yes, that's uh, been a very new genre for me. You could probably, probably, I, I, I'm a, what they call a lone wolf modeler. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of very, very helpful people like Don and Des, but. Certainly. Obviously, we're at different parts of our lives as well. Don's off in the caravan for three weeks chasing <laughs> real trains around, around the countryside. And, um, so I quite, I'll often catch up with him. Um, so into the videos, I, I really wanted to promote the hobby. Um, I, I've been living, listening to a lot of podcasts, including this one, which was my first, mm-hmm. uh, mind you, that I listened to probably a year ago now. I suppose like, I think all model railroaders have a, what I would call, a rite of passage to promote this hobby. Mm. Now, to keep it going, you know, th- th- there's a lot Certainly. of commentary out there that this hobby is dying. Um, another podcast line with Lionel and, mm-hmm. and co, he obviously promotes the hobby quite nicely also. However, Certainly. I think, and where, where do I fit in all that? And being in Australia, I feel like I'm with regarding my modeling, I'm living in the wrong part of the world. However, um, so I'm thinking, how do I promote the hobby? Show my, my skills that I have developed over the years. And I wrote a, a blog on my, my website just on this, like paying it forward. So mm. I'm a very big believer and proponent of 
we get all these skills and all that from all these, all these, what I'll call mentors, Des, mm-hmm. Don, and this other gentleman sure. in, in, so how do I pay that forward? So the only thing I'm, you know, I don't know any younger modelers out there that, that I can give my, um, my skills away to or show my skills. I'm thinking, well, the, the most logical is the young tech savvy individuals we got out there today is to put up a podcast, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, a, um, a YouTube, YouTube channel, video. I should say. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm currently about 15, 15 videos in. Mm-hmm. So, so varying from my train controller stuff right the way through to my latest one I put up yesterday, I did a a uh, a product sort of review on a, a Micromart sort of uh, a chopper they call mm-hmm. it. So, um, my latest one I'm literally working on now is my first Craftsman kit. So, mm. I'm just sort of yeah, I suppose I'm I'm really enjoying that because I'm. You know, I'm not. I'm not a big channel. I've only I've got 220 subscribers, and but I'm sort of in five months of amassed 5,000 views, which I think is it's just blown my mind. So yeah. there's obviously people out there that want to listen to my uh, my accent, I suppose, but because a lot of them are from the United States and the and the UK. So I think that, what's that I fascinating see, about YouTube as a format, we had on periodically Marty McGurk, who has had yeah. a variety of different. You know, professional roles in this hobby. And I don't know, maybe even three years ago, he was a naysayer with regards to YouTube. He seemed to think it was just the wrong format for the hobby. And now he has a YouTube channel. He's explored the sure. format and realized that he has something to offer through YouTube. And I sure. think it's one of these things where when you start experimenting with the format and your own particular area of knowledge, you can create content that I think a lot of people in this hobby find very sustaining. So Correct. I certainly want to Correct. commend you in your experimentation you. and the stuff that you've done. Thank you. Because I think you have some pretty inspirational people around you, as you acknowledge. I'd spend I spent the time with them as well. Yes. And I think there are parts of, I mean, in the US, you might not believe this, but there are parts of the US where you don't have a hobby store for 200 300 miles in some circumstances. And what, yeah, that's exactly right. What the Orient Express has done in your area, and there are, you know, a couple of other um, stores in your area, but the Orient Express specifically, because they offer a lot of hands on training, a lot of stuff that might be called clinics elsewhere, they provide an epicenter in terms of knowledge and people and equipment and all these things. And to, to as you say, pay that forward with YouTube provides a resource for people that live in these regions that don't actually have active hobby stores, that don't have the likes of, of Don and Des, you know, helping folks correct, through the hobby. Correct. So it's very important. Absolutely correct. Yeah, so I suppose I tried looking at using mediums that these types of individuals can get. So obviously the, the whole online world of buying things is just phenomenal. So you can just about get anything from anywhere, just about all over the world. So I'm not trying to do videos that people will, can't get the the products or you know the, the the materials for so um i'm sort of putting it out there i'll i've had some some naysayers i, I put it up on a particular website i won't name names here but i got uh, shot down like you would not believe so um there are forums everywhere there are forum that's trolls right. everywhere so that's right so yeah. i've <laughs> that's something i need to learn as well the whole the keyboard warrior side of things so yes. i sort of try to get a thick skin and just put it to my side and, and go, you know what, that's that's your opinion, that's that's fine, but I'm just going to move on and keep doing my content because they ain't. So yes. <laughs> so that's the way I sort of look at it. You know, I'm putting myself out there. 
for the betterment of the hobby, hopefully, um, for the youngsters, the old people, everyone in between. I don't, so that's that's the the whole drive behind my website, my my YouTube yep. and my my Facebook. That's I just love this hobby. There's some fantastic people that you meet, whether oh, online man. like we are now, and <laughs> um, maybe one day we'll uh, we'll get back over there. So I'm looking at doing an American trip just to let you know, uh, sort of this time next year. So Gosh. we love San Francisco. So I'd like to we love Adelaide. to get over that one. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, we want to get over. That. We would like to get over for Fleet Week. That's ah, what yes, I'd like to do. Yes, so you won't catch me in San Francisco good. in Fleet Week, but uh, certainly if you're willing to travel, we do have layouts in the area that are well worth visiting. Yes. So, Darren, yes. look, thank you for finally having the opportunity to connect for folks. Yeah, that was fantastic. This is, is Dazzy J on Facebook. Oh. A frequent poster in Model Rail Radio, and uh, wonderful to actually finally have a chance to connect and uh, chat with you live on the podcast. Yeah, it's been fantastic, and thank you very much for your time, and have a good evening. It is over there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Right. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye. I'd like to welcome on Eric Hansman. Eric, could you introduce your interests in the model railroading hobby? Well, sure. Um, I'm a prototype modeler. I've settled on the B&O as a prototype. My last layout was 10 by 16 HO scale, focused on just the uh, freight terminal in Wheeling, West Virginia. Mm. A uh, freight house uh, that uh, had, uh, I think, a 36-car capacity and a team yard that had another, uh, geez, it had about 24-car capacity there. And in terms of Wheeling, West Virginia, it brings back memories to me, but I have road trip through there. For folks listening in, I can anticipate what the industry might be, but what industries are in the area? Well, steel is big, was big in Wheeling, West Virginia. Wheeling Steel was there as well as a number of other operations. The LaBelle Nail Works was there as well. But this terminal um, basically delivered the goods for the retailers and wholesalers to pick up for the local populace to use. Mm. So consider it more of a UPS hub, a Mm -hmm. uh, FedEx hub. Uh, That would be the modern-day correlation. So the need for local freight, I guess, is what you're describing, is always something that is fascinating to model. Can you talk a little bit? Is your layout designed for operations? Yes, it uh, it was designed for operations from the get-go. It's got a small yard that is basically open staging mm-hmm. uh, where all the inbound cars come in. We usually move about 100 cars per operating session, 50 inbounds and usually 50 outbounds, or maybe there's a hold or two that, that, that won't be moved. And they're split between the freight house and the team yard. So the crews show up and they survey what's there. I use uh, switch lists that I made up uh, in about, mm, I could do those in about 40 minutes mm-hmm. to write down basically an inventory of the cars in the uh, yard and denote where they were going. I would uh, use a random um, number generator uh, to determine where they were going and then um, figure out a shore spot. The the freight house always got shore spots. So cars for the freight house would be on track one, spot one, track one, spot two, so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. And then the team yard, there were a couple shore spots there, but typically they they just had to be placed on specific tracks. 
So the crews would go to work. I had two two-man crews, uh, engineer and conductor for each crew. Mm-hmm. One worked the freight house, the other worked the team yard. And they would sort out their work, figure out what they were going to take first, and trundle, trundle it off to switch it out. Now, they couldn't take typically more than eight cars at a time. Mm. So, you know, they'd be shuttling back and forth quite a bit. And this is a model 1926. So you really wouldn't have long strings of cars being shoved or pulled around because they didn't have radios. Mm. They would do hand signals. So mm-hmm. there'd be like a crew of uh, outside the locomotive, there'd be a crew of three or four other other people in order to relay signals and set up switches and um, and so on and so forth, a conductor and a few switchmen. Um, so it's it's really a slower pace, and um, you had to balance what you pulled out with what you put in. Um, and typically they had the spots and pulls all done within two hours, and mm-hmm. we'd break for lunch. I might, uh, you know, grill up some uh, sausages, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe I had some chili going uh, overnight. And uh, we'd, we'd break for beans for about an hour and talk about things. And then they'd go back, and all the outbounds would be in the staging yard. But I had six different destinations for those cars. Again, picked with a random number generator. And that mm-hmm. would be on the switch list when they pulled this stuff originally. So um, basically, um, they would block the cars for their outbound destinations, wheeling the B&O had five different ways out of out of wheeling. Mm. Um, and a sixth destination was the clean-out track. Mm-hmm. And that would take about another hour. So it was just a you know nice few hours of operating with, uh, with the two crews. And is this a room layout? Is this a basement layout? Could you describe the space? Sure. It was a dining room that ah. we didn't think we would use as a dining room. Interesting. It was, yeah, it was 20 by 14. It, the layout was originally built to fit into a spare bedroom, and it was tight, it was 10 by 16 layout, uh, U-shaped, or more like a J. You know, mm-hmm. one of the legs was a little shorter than the other. Certainly. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's what it was. And uh, the last time it really operated was about three years ago in El Paso, Texas, when I lived there. So are you resuscitating this layout, or is this a layout that is – uh, in the past, and you're going to create a new layout. Oh, it's it's here. It's in the garage. It's just boxed up right now. Interesting. Um, when, when we moved to Metro Nashville a couple years ago, we had a rental, and I had it set up, but uh, then we found a house to purchase pretty quickly and moved into that. So, unfortunately, there is no room large enough for the layout except for the garage, mm-hmm. um, and I want to re- I want to transform the garage into an indoor space that'll be my hobby space for a future layout. But we're looking at a kitchen remodel now. And, of course, the easiest place to store things to come in and out of the kitchen is the garage. (laughs) So that's going to wait for a little bit. Interesting. So the layout space, the aim is to make the garage more like a finished room, I guess, in terms of airflow and these kind of things. But you say... That's for a future layout. You, you don't think you'll use the garage for the stuff that you had three years ago in boxes now? Actually, I, I would, I hope to set it up mm-hmm. in order to get some operating con because, you know, I feel it's really important to be able to have trains running, even if you're building a new layout, whether it's just a town or so ah. that you can get going. Because 
if things are running, that just gives you inspiration to keep moving stuff forward. So you seem pretty invested in this prototype. Are you going to do something completely different in the new layout, or are you going to build on what you already have in Wheeling? Well, basically, I'm going to move upriver. I'm going to move into to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's a forgotten B&O branch that was mm. six miles long, ran along the Allegheny River and mm-hmm. then down the Ohio River. Had a variety of industries, including the H.J. Hines plant, mm. um, which uh, they packed a lot of pickles and relishes Certainly. and ketchup there. Yeah. There are some warehouses. There's uh, three department store warehouses on this line. There are two different freight houses for two different railroads because the B&O also shared part of the line with the Buffalo, Rochester, and Pittsburgh Railway, mm. which came down from the north. There's uh, uh, three team yards. Um, there are a couple of small steel industries. Um it's just a pretty diverse line. There's even a casket manufacturer along Gosh. it. <laughs> nothing's nothing's really big. That's that's what's nice about the pre-war era is that nothing is really large. Yeah. Uh, but there's medium size. But after World War II, a lot of U.S. industries they just expanded in size because the demand was there for more stuff. Um, but in the 20s, while it was booming. Uh, you didn't have industries that were getting to be massive outside of, you know, some of the car plants up in Michigan. Mm. Fascinating period to model, actually, because, as you say, the industries are at that model railroading scale. And I really like the idea of setting up part of your old layout to be operating while you build your new layout in terms of kind of inspiration as well. So it sounds like you've got a few things to do. You've got kitchen remodeling and other stuff. Do you get a sense of when you're going to start attacking the garage as being a, a new workshop space? Well, we've we've done remodels at other houses in the past. And, you know, when you set down a certain number of months, almost <laughs> inevitably you can double that ah, number. <laughs> so I don't know if I really want to go out on a limb and say anything about that Fair at this enough. time. Fair enough. Yes. Well, double it. And yes, and if they involve contractors in any form, perhaps even more than double it. So, yes. <laughs> experience that (laughs) and that that's a problem here nashville is a booming region and this is a small job yes technically yes when there's a lot of new housing going up guess what the guys want to do of course all the bigger jobs so (laughs) yes i've lived that life in california as well believe me and yeah, yeah the folks you get for the smaller jobs can be quite interesting in and of themselves but this is a model railroading podcast let's uh, that's right continue along this line so in terms of your area, apparently you're very well known. I mean, people have said that they're really interested in hearing your particular take. What? How, how have you become so well known in your area? Well, I, I, um, I do a couple of blogs. I've got a personal blog and I also manage the blog for Resin Car Works. And mm. I frequently, whenever there's a post, I usually um, throw a little tease out there and a link onto several Facebook groups, including the Model Rail Radio uh, group. Well, thank you. Sure. Because, um, you know, I you were talking earlier about um, how, you know, you're promoting the hobby. And I think that's, that's really important uh, because there's a lot of things going on that are fascinating that, you know, make just, just this that we make by plopping a, couple sentences, hey, check this out. It's a neat boxcar upgrade. Here's the link. Mm. Um, you know, 
It's it's people can choose to follow the link. People can just ignore it. Oh, it's him again. I'm just going to scroll right through this. <laughs> um, so, but you know, it, it's it's a way to inspire certainly. people to move forward, and that's what I really like to do. And I think um, you certainly. I mean, my experience having done this with the internet in various forms for more than two decades is that the it's it's about quality, not quantity. And although you might have high capacity going through. The folks that actually choose to click on the link and choose to get insights and what have you are usually the right kind of folk anyway. So, yes. Sure, sure. The other thing about the 20s and, and promoting the hobby is that it's kind of an unknown era. Mm. It hasn't been covered well. And when it has been covered well, sometimes it has been a caricature. Certainly. And the information presented isn't really reflective of the actual prototype history. And in terms of prototype history, for folks that are interested in modeling the 20s accurately, what are your recommendations? Join the historical society, you know, for the railroad you're really focused in. Um, the Library of Congress has thousands and thousands of images that you can scroll through with different searches. I've found lots of great stuff from the teens and 20s just to just to look at there, not, not even focused on the B&O, or my modeling locations. But freight cars traveled everywhere, so it's always great to be able to find a photo with more than two or three freight cars of that era mm. because they're always telling you something. You know, they're, they're telling you that these cars were in service, for so, one. We might be able to see a weigh date, so we know when these cars were last weighed. Um, we might know the location where they were, you know, spotted. So we can infer maybe a load or something from that, too. But there's always details, you know. What kind of roof did it have? Uh, what kind of car ends did it have? Because some older cars would have been rebuilt in the teens and the 20s. So this would have changed from the builder photo look. Most definitely. Most definitely. And a lot of railroads at that time looked different. Mm. The B&O did not use an emblem on their freight cars. Neither did the Penzi. So there's no keystones. There's no ball keystones. There's no B&O dome. The Western Maryland didn't have any fireballs or any circular heralds. <laughs> nothing. Yes. So the look, you know, you show some people some of the photos from just the 20s, and it's like, that's a that's a Penzi boxcar? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It just It's just not typical of what everyone's familiar with in the post-war years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rise so of logos. It's, it really yeah. is the history of, of American industry kind of captured in the, in these things. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, Eric. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And I'm learning something new almost every single day. Well, thank you very much for calling into Model Rail Radio. You're certainly someone who I've been wanting to, to have on. And certainly I have a number of listeners that have, have asked for you specifically. So it's wonderful that you've had the chance to call in today. Please don't be a stranger. Please also, if you have a chance, stay on the line. And if anything comes up, please jump back in because it's been wonderful to have the chance to chat with you today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the offer and uh, hope to be back. I'll stay on for a little bit, but uh, um, my, my, my dinner is calling as well. So. Always important. Yes. Very good. Thank you Take so care. much, Tom. Take mm -hmm. care. Speaking of YouTube 
and the power of YouTube to get the hobby out, I'd like to welcome on Mike Devron. Mike, it's been a, a few months since we had the chance to chat. What has been going on with your hobby? And for folks who have been chapping at the bit for new YouTube updates, what's going on with the with the YouTube updates as well? Well, I'd like to say there was a lot going on, but there hasn't been. <laughs> <laughs> Summer, right? <laughs> Oh, I work more than anything alas. else. You, you know, alas, how that works. But yes. uh, no, it's been, uh, I've been working a lot on the sugar mill in Longmont, and that has just been drawn out because I've been called away for months on end to mm -hmm. uh, go repair some stuff. So have not had an update lately. Matter of fact, I haven't even updated the Facebook page until today where I sat down and said, you know, I've got to get something out this month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but been very busy overall, mm -hmm. but have still been working here and there on small projects. And, and I've also, I think I, I think the last time we talked, I was talking about doing a uh, diorama. Yes. And I've been working a little on that, too. I just about got uh, my freight house finished up on that. So just been very busy and tough to get get together and, and just do a video. So in so. terms of your crew, have, have your crew been – I mean, I guess if you're not there – I, I shouldn't perhaps even ask if anyone has the keys to your layout room in your absence. <laughs> but, I mean, with you not being there, it probably makes it more difficult for your crew to come by and help out on the layout as well. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, uh, Sean has been very busy with his – he's taken a new position at his job, and Gosh. he's been very busy. So, really, the three of us have been trying desperately just – in fact, I, I sat down and uh, last Sunday and called John up and said, bring your family over. I need some fun time and we'll sit and watch a football game because neither one of us have any energy to do anything else. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, everybody who's in model railroading has, has gone through periods like this and this is no exception for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it should get, begin to slow down here pretty soon. And once again, I'll be able to hit it pretty hard, but you know, a lot of the work that I have been doing is is boring. It's mm -hmm. figuring out track plans, figuring out uh, how the operations would work at the sugar mill. And, and, you know, nobody wants to see me move a track four more inches over here or <laughs> two inches over there. Yes. Let's talk a little bit because, I mean, last time we spoke, I mean, maybe it was the time before, but you were talking about these larger scale structures and how important <laughs> it was to get these larger scale structures did you have a? Do you have, you have a laser cutter, right? You, you're in I that, do. You're in that realm of actually doing this kind of stuff. Is that something that you're going to be looking at over the winter months as well, or is you know is the sugar plant basically taking all your structural energy at this stage? Well, I believe someone just mentioned the importance of having trains run when you're working on the mm. layout, and I am also a big fan of that. Um, and so I've been trying to get this sugar mill done so I could have some operations, so I could basically run a train out at Denver Yard to Longmont and shuffle some cars around in the sugar mill. So I've been really focused on that. But Sean and me both are, are anxiously waiting to make the turn. We're going to head into Denver. And when we get into Denver, once again, we'll be doing large-scale buildings. And, mm. and the laser will be uh, <laughs> a primary focus of that. There's no question about it. But the sugar mill is, I think, when you look at it, most people don't realize, how, well, if you see the car sitting there, you can begin to scale it out. Mm. But we're talking a building that's, 
that's over five foot long. Yes, and, gosh. And is a couple feet wide. Gosh. So these are not small buildings by an NHO scale, too. Mm, so yes. that, that makes it a huge difference when you look at that. So, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of that has been uh, trying to get, okay, I, I've got the cars in here. Now I've, I've got to make sure I can make this turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't don't want to don't want those uh, little those uh, cars falling off the track. So you know that's a lot of it. I actually something I I didn't have. I've never used eighteen inch radius on the layout, but oh. in a yard in situation, you certainly would use it. So off to uh, my uh, addiction to uh, to fast tracks, and was <laughs> like, oh, I need to make order a. A few more things and build a few more turnouts. So, yeah, it, it's going, and I can't wait to really start using the laser again and using uh, more of a cityscape rather than factories because mm. those those make it much more interesting and you can be a little more creative. So, I'm looking forward to that, and and I know Sean is too. He we were sitting down looking at buildings and going, well, we could do this, and how big do we want these? And <laughs> yes. So, how I, I mean, in terms of your prototype, obviously, you know, the Denver area has some. Re I'm, I'm not sure historically. My recollections of Denver start in the '90s, but you know, reasonable size buildings in Denver, right? Yes, uh, matter of fact, uh, in the uh, '50s. So right now, during the '50s, mining is still pretty big in the mm -hmm. area, but. So is agriculture and mm -hmm. cattle, and everybody forgets that uh, there was a huge cattle ranch or um, slot uh, stockyard mm. in Denver mm. um, that would, uh, you know, a couple square miles. Mm. Is that where uh, the ballpark is? There's a there's a park there's a sports park there currently, right? It's like literally in uh, central well, Denver. Is that am I getting that slightly yeah, so, wrong? So central Denver down there, where the baseball stadium mm -hmm. and the football stadium are, so that's down where the Union Station is. The uh, stockyard is actually just north of that and okay. to the east by about well, maybe four miles. Okay. Okay. So, so it's, it's in the yeah. area there. Yeah. And it's right along the Platte River there. And so, and, and again, this is a, a major hub because you have the, uh, the UP coming into there. You oh, have yeah. the Denver Rio Grande. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of course, Burlington. Yes. And the Santa Fe. So those are probably the primary uh, railroads going in there. But you also have the Missouri Pacific. Mm. And I was going to say, oh, um, um, the rocket. So that would have been, um, who is the rocket? I'm going to, someone's going to correct me and catch it later on. But it doesn't <laughs> matter. There was just all these railroads actually termin terminated yes. a lot of their, their passenger service right there in Denver. Most so definitely. So it, it is a very... Uh, active area with a large, a lot of large buildings there. Mm. So, well, I'm looking so forward to seeing the uptick. Hopefully, your work will come, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the downtown Denver. You know, well, they they were skyscrapers, right? They were skyscrapers yeah. of their time. So, yeah, and in in the six in the late fifties, there actually now are skyscrapers there, and we're going to have a few of them. Wonderful! I'm really looking forward to that, but really. I'm looking forward to the YouTube channel pumping out content as it uh, once did. So, uh, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> if you get a chance, we have on we had on uh, Dazzy J. Obviously, he's starting a YouTube channel. He's been doing it um, for I think about six months now. So, yeah, all these you know, it's just wonderful to see 
I use YouTube primarily through my Apple TV downstairs, so it's a uh, very different than watching it on a uh, laptop. I always look forward to you know seeing who's produced videos in the past. Well, however long since I last watched, usually two three days, and I always love when your videos come up because I know I'm going to get this deep, you know, superficial YouTube videos, three to five minutes. Mike Devil's YouTube videos, yeah. A little bit yeah, longer and, than that. A little bit deeper. And, and, so. and at least a 30-minute show <laughs> and sometimes longer. Yes. Looking forward to seeing the layout room, you know, and always enjoying the updates. So, Mike, when you get a chance, when work calms a little, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some YouTube offerings. And certainly downtown Denver in the 1950s. Gosh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It will be. I'll talk to you soon, Mike. Thank you for calling and Take care. Thanks, Tom. I'd like to welcome on Clark Kearney. Clark, it has been 10 years of producing this model rail radio thing. I know. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I remember <laughs> uh, uh, when Chris, was, him and I were yakking about uh, uh, about the program, and uh, he said, hey, they're looking for somebody who knows something about N-Scale. You want to come <laughs> on? And I said, yeah, sure, okay. And uh, I think there was just the three of us. I think somebody else joined in and... We had mm. quite a conversation, and then uh, the next time I think we talked together, and then all of a sudden we met in Las Vegas, Most and definitely. then and then at, you know several other times now, Grand River, and of course out <laughs> in California. Yeah. So uh, we've uh, yeah, it's been terrific, hasn't it? It's just amazing. I mean, I now do a podcast with Chris Abbott periodically because his other. His other passion role-playing games intersected with another podcast that I was interested in doing. And just having the opportunity to talk to Chris again, and I've introduced Chris to people I know as well, uh, and, yeah, it's just, you know, he is just one of these salt-of-the-earth characters, as you are as well, and it's wonderful to be able to bring folks such as yourselves to together and, you know, and meet you. Um, but let's move on. The Narrow Gauge Convention was fascinating for me. I... And I don't think ever been to a narrow gauge convention previously. I've I've been to a few nationals, but it's interesting actually just seeing the hobby through the lens of narrow gauge, and in particular the kinds of modelling, the kinds of interest, the kinds of folk that are narrow gauges fundamentally. Now, because it was in Sacramento, we had a wide variety of other folk turn up just because it's a model railroading event uh, in Sacramento, but. Um, as you reflect, you've, you've dabbled in narrow gauge periodically, haven't you? Yes, I would say narrow gauge is sort of where, where my heart is. Um, I built a, a very large, well, I, I initially built an HON3 layout, and I just wasn't happy with the way mm. things run. And I went to a, I went to a narrow gauge meet um, in St. Louis, and the guys in St. Louis were the original developers of the national narrow gauge interesting so all these guys that's why um every 10 years um the national narrow gauge is in st louis because that's where it started interesting and uh so in 2020 it'll be in st louis and uh, all the guys who were the movers and shakers of narrow gauge uh i've i've come to know and in in st louis and i was at a meet and they introduced me to SN3. As soon as I got mm. back to Toronto, <laughs> I 
took down the layout and and um, sold everything I had and bought one <laughs> uh, SN3 locomotive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, then after that, I built a fairly large uh, SN3 uh, layout that um, was seen at the National Narrowgate, mm-hmm. or at sorry, at the uh, Toronto uh, NMRA convention 2003. Mm. And uh, it was on the tour, and it was on the Narrowgate tour, and it was on the the layout design tour. Because uh, one of the neat things that I did, I I snaked the main line in between the furnace, the water tank, and and I forget what other utility piece that was in there. And it would uh, go through spline and and weave its way all around the in this utility room and then would come out. Uh, and that was the main line. And everybody was just fascinated how I got it to fit. <laughs> and I said, well, it cost me an extra $350 because I had to – have the guy move the water tank two inches, mm. <laughs> and they had to replumb the the gas line, but uh, um, and the water line, but uh, it all worked out, and yes. uh, it was uh, it's a lot of fun. Now the narrow gauge convention, it's a total different format. If nobody's ever been to one, mm. and what did you did you enjoy the format? I thought the format was interesting. I must admit, I was frustrated by the format. I was frustrated by a number of parts of the format. And I contacted actually Dave Falkenberg to say, who can I talk to here about this thing? Because certainly the way the layout tours were done, I would have liked to have had access to the layout tours before I got to Sacramento for obvious reasons. There were a number of layouts in San Jose and both the East and West Bay that I could have attended that I didn't know about until I got to Sacramento. Right. I don't know. It just seemed to be such a different format to the national and it was actually quite unexpected for me i found going through the website um initially very painful and ultimately that was part of the the experience as well for me um but what i've said to dave falkenberg i gave him a list of names he knew probably 60 percent of the names that i gave him and i said we've got to get these people onto model rail radio to at least talk about their you know narrow gauge interests and i'd love to have a chance to see their layouts as well I had a really wonderful conversation with the uh, AccuCraft owner, which is actually Union City is pretty close to me, and right. that was fascinating. I found the um, the quality of modelling in the layout room and contest room was just well. They had two separate layout rooms and they had a contest room, just unbelievably good and really quite. You lost track of time in the contest room which was a quality yeah. that I really like. So yes. I do understand where they are in the hobby. I just wished maybe electronically, maybe through a few things, that things have been a little easier, particularly to access the layouts. I um, spent an afternoon with Malcolm Johnson, which made the whole thing worth doing. I really loved, and I saw Duncan McCree and um, Dennis Drury and uh, you know Patrick Davis, a bunch of folk who participated previously. I met a couple of... of folks that listen to the podcast as well, which is always fun. I was genuinely frustrated with the access to the layouts uh, because mm. I would have loved to have attended some of the layouts that were local to me before I headed out to Sacramento. But I think I've said sure. that piece. It's totally different. I mean, it's not in any way like the national convention. And no. <laughs> uh, it has, a, you know, it has its unique properties, which I think are very useful. Yeah, and I, and I think 
I think the two structures work well mm. for um, organizational structures, work well for the organizations. Like, I mean, the narrow gaze, there is real no organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um and where compared to the NMRA, there's so, quite a bit of uh, there's a quite a bit of uh, oversight to the conventions and so mm. forth. So um, it's it's fun to go to. Uh, I, certainly, uh, it's like any convention. You know, you're immersed in it from eight in the morning till midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, anyway, more practical, uh, more practical concerns here, Clark Cody. What has happened with the roof of your club? Nothing. Mm. We are really uh, getting ticked off with the council. Mm-hmm. Um, in our little town, for those people who don't know, I live uh, in Elliott Lake, Ontario, which is, uh, if you know where Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan is, or Toronto, <laughs> it's about it's about a six and a half hours drive north of Toronto, and uh, about, not quite three hours from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Mm. Uh sort of north and across the border and then a little bit of east. Basically, I'm about uh, 30 miles north of the top of Lake Huron on the North Channel. We we get a lot of snow this year. The weather service said we had 13 feet of snow. It all landed on this one roof, and unfortunately, <laughs> there, was, there was a collapse. Yes. And our railroad, uh, our railroad club, which was in an adjacent room to where the main collapse was, which was an auditorium. Uh, They basically have taken down the roof and it's sitting Mm -hmm. wide open right now. Um, Our space actually is enclosed. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not a problem, but they've condemned the one part of the building. So um, with that in mind, nobody's allowed in the building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the city council, unfortunately, they want to, um, they want to build this big, they call it a hub of <laughs> community. They want to build a new arena, which we need. They mm-hmm. want to build uh, a curling rink, which we need. They want to build a pool, and they want to put it all in this one big hub. And um, they have the land for it. But then when the collapse happened, they thought, ooh, here's our insurance uh, coverage is about $9 million for the building. <laughs> they wanted the $9 million. Yes. And put it into the hub. Well, you know, if you're an insurance company and you got a big building or, or think of it as a car and somebody takes your bumper off, mm. they're not giving you a new car. They're going to put a new bumper on for mm. you. So I think that's the fight. Um, mm. I think the insurance company says, hey, we'll put a new roof on. We'll fix it up. You'll be good to go. And they go, oh, well, we don't really want that. <laughs> well, they've condemned it, right? I mean, in yeah. the condemning of it, it uh, I, I predicted this, Clark Kooning, when you first mentioned the scenario, and you were very positive. You were very hopeful at that time. Yes, I was. And I'm, and I'm, <laughs> I, I'll say I'm still positive, but, <laughs> but the light is going out. <laughs> very good. Yeah. So but, in terms uh, of in terms of productive model railroading, in terms of stuff, obviously the summer months are just a complete write off. But as you look towards the winter months, as things cool in your part of the world, what are your plans? Well, it's uh, we had our first actually uh, club meeting the other day. We have a fellow um, who wasn't happy with his end scale layout, so mm. um, we basically had a meeting at his house, and we're going to rebuild his layout. Wow. And uh, 
we've we've had three or four guys over already. They've taken out most of the old bench work. The the fellow who we're doing it for him and his wife have moved some furniture because we've um, they sort of asked me if I would design the layout for them, and I said okay, but I said we need more room. <laughs> Yes. So so anyway, they've done all that. Matter of fact, I got a phone call. Uh, he's in a golf tournament today, but his wife phoned and said, "Okay, Clark, it's all cleaned up. We're ready to go." <laughs> so so next week, uh, there's a bunch of us in the club that are going to go over to one of the fellows' house who's got a little bit of a workshop, and mm. we're going to build uh, sort of I'll call it sectional bench work, mm. and then. Uh, we'll be able to install the benchwork into his house. And then once we get to that point, we can start moving along fairly quickly. But up here, uh, well, in Canada, uh, next weekend, there's the big uh, Toronto, Greater Toronto train show. Um, so we're there's a couple of us that are going down to that. They have three buildings this year. Gosh. Um, one, is, one building is strictly a Fremo layout. Another building is for the um, Toronto uh, RPM meet, so they'll mm-hmm. be there all weekend, and that's really a a, a fun uh, event. So they've combined they've combined three events into this train show. Gosh. So a couple of us are going down on Friday, and then we'll uh, do the thing on Saturday at the show, and then Saturday night in the uh, uh, layout or the Fremo group, they do an operating session. So we'll mm. do. Operating session probably till about ten or eleven o'clock at night. Interesting. And uh, so, yeah, and you would know some of the guys, Brian Schilling. Of course, uh, is yes. Involved I was going to uh, say, send on my regards yep. to all these people I because hope. a number of names that uh, you know are, are part of this uh, tapestry yep. are certainly participants. Yeah. So and uh, uh, so anyway, and I've been gearing up. I've. Uh, uh, been getting some stuff from Tim, uh, mostly mm-hmm. wood, and uh, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been uh, gearing up to do a lot of building. Uh, my layout is up and running electrically. It's basically done. Uh, track work, it's done. All these guys are building a huge layout, like like uh, Mike. You should build a little smaller one, Mike, and then you can run trains. Yeah. And, <laughs> And um, uh, so I am looking forward to doing some of the fun work now. The heavy construction's all over. Wonderful. So that's a cheap shot, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you can take it. That's all you give, Clark, right? Cheap shots. That's that's your yeah. that's your mo. Right? I, I think he got got me earlier in another one. So yeah. I was just huh. back. Yeah. So we're getting ready here. The boat goes away next week. Uh. Um, and then the week after is uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. so that weekend will be sort of you know family and <laughs> and stuff and getting ready for the getting ready for the ice fishing season. Wonderful. But um, so, but yeah, things are coming along. I'm hoping City Council will come to some kind of resolution. <laughs> but I uh, we are actively looking for a new space. Um, however, the problem is being a retirement area. The members don't have, you know, a lot of funds to throw mm. into a club uh, membership. Certainly. And, uh, you know, retail space is just too expensive for us to look at. So. so is there any, I mean, certainly in our area, clubs have grown up out of disused retail space, like yes. even donated retail space. Yeah. 
that's probably not a phenomenon in your part of the world because you have so much space, right? <laughs> well, no, um, we that's what we've done too. We've gone to a few of the places and said, you know, we like to rent space, but um, ever since the collapse, mm. we've had we, there's about twenty hobby groups doing the same thing, and Gosh. these guys have kind of gotten greedy mm. and. You know, they want fifteen, twenty dollars a square foot. Yeah, no. And it it's just not feasible, you know. So anyway, we're uh, just plugging away right now. We're uh, as I said, we're going to help this fellow uh, generate his new model railroad, and mm. uh, then from then we've we're looking at uh, um, just doing a round robin at guys' homes. Now, one fellow has got a very big workshop that he's built and um we're going to do all our clinics there and so we have some hands-on clinics uh programmed uh, we're mm-hmm. going to do a laser kit we're going to do a scratch building plastic we're going to do we have about three projects that uh, guys will tackle between now and christmas so mm. sounds like you've got a lot of fun ahead of you Clark. yeah well you know up here when winter comes it's here <laughs> <laughs> Um, this year, I'm not going to go to Train Fest, which is mm. highly unusual. Mm. Um, I'm going to make sure I get to Springfield in January. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Clark, it's always a pleasure catching up. I hate it to be a naysayer with regards to insurance companies and city councils, but having <laughs> observed that kind of behavior in California, I I guess I'm jaded, let's just say. <laughs> oh, well, I'm I'm not. I'm. I guess I'm just too positive because I really want uh, a club space. But <laughs> Always no a pleasure chatting, Clay. Always a pleasure chatting. You know well, how we you, do Tom. things. I'll and talk congratulations to you uh, for hanging in there for 10 years. Unbelievable. Uh, just, I know. You deserve, <laughs> you deserve at least a, a medal and maybe a dinner out for sushi one night. That would be wonderful when you're in my uh, part of the world. Or maybe I will be in your part of the world. Uh, the sister podcast... I don't know if Lionel has made this public, although I've made this public on this podcast on a couple of occasions. Lionel has written a book, and apparently I feature in this book. So my view is that if this book is launched, which it will be, no doubt, I will try to make an effort to head up at least to Toronto, because I now have both model rail and role-playing game fans in that part of the world. So, yeah, if that happens, I'll uh, certainly head up. But unfortunately, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do the uh, the six hours north. But if you're going to be, I don't think I'll be at Springfield this year. Um, but yeah, I am planning what what shows I will be attending, what conventions I'll be attending uh, next year. So maybe I'll need to hop over the border once. And uh, Train Fest has always been an interesting one for me, and particularly now, Model Rail Radio's own Mike Slater is like the grand poo bar of Train Fest. Well, you know, next uh, 2020 mm. would be really a good target date for you and any of the other, um, I'll say, foreign, <laughs> but that's not really the right word, um, international people who are listening. They're, they are having an international um, train fest, basically. Certainly. Yes. They, They've invited a lot of clubs from uh, the UK. They've invited clubs from Canada. So that would be really a good one to target because you, we, I say we, but you get worldwide uh, participation and maybe Mm. that's the one to really target. Yeah, I'll certainly keep that in mind. There might be interesting things going on at that time of year, but uh, 
Certainly I will keep that in mind. Clark Cooning, it is always a pleasure catching up. Looking forward to hearing what winter escapades come your way when we next talk. Take care. I'll, I'll send you pictures. Thanks Thank very you. much, Tom. And again, uh, congratulations for, for hanging in for 10 years. Shucks. What can I say? <laughs> I would like to welcome on a gentleman who, unfortunately, I will not be seeing in our trip to Australia. However, the trip to Australia now includes Melbourne. And I'm, I can't, I'm trying to, I went through Melbourne by plane five years ago. But in terms of actually getting off the train in Melbourne, I'm embarrassed to say it's probably been about 30 years since I last set foot in Melbourne. Martin Jenkins, as it will be a whistle stop tour through Melbourne, any areas I should check out? Any parts of Melbourne that you think are absolutely important for model railroading, pros, pros, whatever the term is, for reasons of model railroading, what parts of Melbourne should I see? Well, with model railroading, I reckon then uh, in Melbourne you've got to go out and uh, uh, check out Puffing Billy up in the Dandenongs. Alas, it's uh, a it's a whistle stop tour. I will not have time to check out Puffing Billy this trip. But um, in leave. terms of like, I'm, I'm just thinking about. As we travel through Melbourne by car, if I was to take a swift detour into, I don't know, some area, it's all new, right? It's all new casinos and new gentrified buildings and this kind of stuff. It, it, what's there to see Melbourne, Melbourne of the old school? You To see Melbourne of the old school, you've got to head up north to Ligon Street, Carlton area. Okay. Um, up, up that side, because the... Uh, the city, yeah, has changed quite a bit. We we went down for the narrow gauge convention. I think it was uh, last year mm. down in Geelong, and um, my wife used to work for um, V Line, and she used to work in the Inwood Parcels office at Spencer Street. Interesting. Well, that where her desk is now is right <laughs> in the middle of the tram stop in Burke Street because Burke Street now keeps going. As as you know, back in back in the day, uh, all streets stopped at uh, Spencer Street, basically, and then you yes. had the rail yards, and then you had the docks. After that, well, all that's been demolished now. There's yuppie uh, high rise buildings through there, <laughs> and sports stadiums, and yes. you know you can buy a million dollar Chico roll there if you want to. I mean, I I was very disappointed when we actually were in Melbourne because. I used to go to RMIT, and I always used to remember I'd get a you'd get a really nice Greek souvlaki <laughs> up around Lonsdale Street. I couldn't find a Greek shop in the city. Everything was dim sims or rice or this. Or, I mean, uh, yeah, I thought. I mean, we had a Chinatown, but I think the whole city's Chinatown now. But the thing also, my cousin who lives down there, it's Pentridge Prison, right? Is Pentridge yep. now? That's now all again yuppie villas. They're taken oh, yeah. over. This prison, for folks listening in internationally, there's a uh, character now deceased called Chopper Reed who kind of defines Melbourne organised crime in some very curious way. He was at Pentridge Prison for a number of years, so if you put Chopper Reed, um, you know, various movies and documentaries have been made about him. That prison, which he stayed, and thousands of countless other wide variety of, you know, organised crime figures and just general criminals... That prison is now, uh, you know, apartments. <laughs> so yep, yep. the gentrification of Melbourne is, is beyond extreme. They've taken every aspect of the city, including quite a famous prison, and turned it into, uh, you know, apartment living. 
So, yeah. Anyway, Martin Jenkins, in terms of your capturing of the bygone era of Melbourne, where is your layout currently? Okay, well, uh, things have things have got very, very quiet in the shed here over the last uh, few months. Mm. Um, been been pretty busy with other things. I've uh, started teaching again at the local uh, TAFE college at night, so that's mm. taken up three nights a week. And uh, yeah, I also uh, thought, well, we we've got all uh, the track here, and I had to make some points, and I'd bought all the fast tracks equipment and. Uh, after watching a, a couple of videos of uh, a guy by the name of Kevin Marks mm. uh, do some of his track work using a resistance soldering iron, Gosh. I thought, okay, I'm going to go and buy a resistance soldering iron. Mm-hmm. So after much gnashing of teeth and uh, and uh, at great expense to the management, I finally uh, got one out of Micromark mm-hmm. that will will actually work on 220 volts. So Wonderful. it's not going to do one solder joint really quickly and then that's it. It's actually going to keep working. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yes, I got that, and I've sat down here, and I've made 23 left hands, and I've made 23 right hands, Gosh. and I've found it's become it's become addictive. I just sit down here in the evening with the, <laughs> the stock eight tool and sit here filing, and you, you find after a while you're actually doing it without even thinking about what you're doing. You're watching TV or listening to a podcast. Yes. And, and uh, next minute, I thought, oh, I better stop making right-hand ones. We better make some left-hand ones now. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've got that, and we've got about uh, five boxes of Pico Code 83 all uh, ballasted and um, put on a product we have over here called Trackrite, mm. which is uh, a rubber roadbed. Uh, so um, I had my uh, woodworking friend around here last week, and uh, he was saying, right, well, uh, when you get back from your holidays, we'll uh, – Start getting the next deck up and uh, for a hundred mil layer of foam on um, three millimeter uh, uh, plywood, and uh, we'll start carving the contours and getting the main lines on the the next deck and uh, start progressing. Wonderful. I have ended up though by uh, obtaining a whole mass of photos and bits and pieces. So mm. yeah, the printer's been going nuts, and all around the layout of uh, uh, piles of photos uh, of uh, what we want to try and achieve in that area so uh, it's very eclectic and it's a lot of it's actually based on fitzroy mm-hmm. carlton up around that area oh, the yeah. old uh, the old terraced houses yes. with the lane out the back and you know oh, yes. that, that that type of layout um yeah and we've got a couple of things uh, a couple of uh, feature things that we're starting to build we're starting to build a couple of the skyscrapers to go in the city gosh um yeah one of them's uh one of them's dedicated to a, a friend I met over in uh, in uh, um, Kansas City last year, which unfortunately he passed away during the year. Mm. But uh, yes, there's a building named after him, and uh, and a few other odds and odds and pieces around the place. Interesting. I've had my, I've had my mate uh, with a set of unpainted price of figures and a and a packet of uh, modelling clay. Um, <laughs> Making some appropriate additions to said figures to uh, uh, eclipse the uh, population of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So, like you said before, a few mullets and a, mm-hmm. and a, Very good. And a few uh, yeah guys going around in the uh, old skivvies with the pack of the cigarettes oh, up, yes. the, uh, uh, up on the top of the uh, shoulder. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. No, when you when you told me about the slout, which must have been three years ago now. Yep. The imagery was just immediately with me, and I think I think I've watched Malcolm the film twice. 
since talking to you. Yes. Because that is just such an iconic film. And there are a series of films, uh, I'm trying to think of the other, but there are a series of films that capture this. And also, just passively, I seem to be an epicenter of Australian crime documentaries. So I frequently see, you know, Melbourne in the 1990s and this kind of stuff. In fact, I've got, when I'm done with recording this podcast, my wife is out of town currently, so I'm free man to binge as many Australian crime documentaries as I want. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's amazing the uh, the quality of, of murders and drug deals and a variety of other things that occurred in Melbourne through this period of time. And yeah, I just have this vision in my mind, probably by the time I actually get a chance to meet you in Queensland, my hope is that the layout will be at a point where I will just be dumbstruck with the uh, the, the modelling and the potential here. So I'm glad... I'm glad you have a mullet specialist. I think that's very important. Yes. And uh, was this gentleman alive during the time? Does he does he base it on uh, actual knowledge that he had associated with this particular area? No, he's uh, he's he's actually um, from uh, he's from the opposition. He's originally from New South Wales. Ah. So yeah, you know, and we won't hold that against him too much. They have mullets you know. in New South Wales as well. I mean, even yeah. as far as where you are currently in Queensland. In fact, the Queensland mullet was a thing of beauty. Um, in its in its age, do you still see mullets in Queensland, or is it just completely lost? Oh, it's completely lost now. I think. Oh, wow. I think if anybody walked walked out with a mullet, you'd, they'd be, someone would be asking, "Where's your safari suit?" Alas, yes, it's yes. <laughs> the, the, youth, the youth of today have got a completely different style. <laughs> yes, yes. So, in terms of what you are doing, I've seen a few YouTube clips from you. I've seen some some things that have gone on recently in your part of the world. You know, you, you're, still, you're still going to the occasional show. You're still meeting people through that, right? Oh, yes, yeah, I'm still off to uh, shows. And, uh, yeah, we're doing a bit of work around here. I mean, uh, it's just uh, the time that we've got in here, I guess I've spent just making Fast Tracks points because I've found that you can do that while, you know, sitting in front of the telly. But uh, <laughs> um we uh, we've done a bit of uh, electric work on the, on the layout, so we've got all the block occupancy detections throughout the yard virtually nailed down. Um, mm. We had a couple of uh, points that were in the hidden storage that started to give a, f- a few problems, so we've made a couple of changes there. So lucky to find that before we put the next deck on. Of course. Um, yeah, we've got the throttle ports all put round the layout now. I've done uh, a bit of work with JMRI, so for mm. the hidden storage and the two double crossovers, I've got um, uh, uh, panels basically up for them and um, they're running off uh, web server. So I've got a couple of old <laughs> iPads that are in here and they're the, they're the control panels for the hidden storage. Oh, yes. Uh, we've got the couple of cameras mounted in for the hidden storage. So the dispatch, because what will happen is the dispatcher will actually drive the trains out of hidden storage up to a crew interchange point. Mm. And then that's when, and then that's when they come out on the actual layout themselves, and the, mm. the people in the room are, uh, are the crews. Um, so there's five cameras mounted, and they're the Raspberry Pi uh, cameras with the um, Pi uh, Pi Zero mm. um, cards mounted underneath. And I've got uh, ManyCam on the um, PC, so the dispatcher sits in. He's got two monitors. One's got the panels uh, to to switch the points and the routes from the hidden storage and also see what's in the hidden storage. 
and then the other one are uh, CCTV cameras, so you can actually monitor the train when it goes through the se- sections of points. Mm. The, the likely spots are going to have a de- derailment. So, of course, yeah, yeah. So that's all all working, and we've been running that now for probably about six months. So I think if we haven't had any major problems in six months, it's good to put the next deck on. Most definitely, but. But yeah, like like everyone says to me here, they 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 all had a go at me a little while back. So I just started a Facebook page up on the layout, and they said, <laughs> "Oh, is this is this a place where your friends can come and hassle you about the lack of work that's occurred on the?" <laughs> I think so, they started doing that. I joined the I joined the Facebook yep. group that you started, and then saw the pile on that. Uh, yes, so I actually saw some of that backlash happening in real yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, so they're all having a good chuckle and a laugh in the background. So, uh, yeah, but uh, no, it, it it was actually even a, uh, uh, all jokes aside, it was a thing. I thought if I put it on there, people will be hassling me to do things and I'll actually get them done because I'm, I'm one of these people that starts 27 projects mm-hmm. and finishes one, one every year or yes. so. Yes. <laughs> so I live some of that life too, although occasionally I do produce a podcast, so... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Martin, real pleasure catching up. Wonderful to uh, reflect on Melbourne of the uh, 1980s and uh, really looking forward to seeing the progress that you make. I, I guess I'm one of your hassling, you know, one of your hassling, not quite. Look, the industrial nature of the hassling that went on on that Facebook page took my breath away. So I will not claim to be anywhere near your friend's level of hassling, but I'm certainly, you know, three years is a long time to anticipate a layout arriving and... Uh, I'm looking forward to the next three years, most definitely, Martin. Yep. Everything slowly. That's what I say. Six steps backwards, <laughs> ten steps forwards. Very good. I'll talk to you but soon, we're actually <laughs> we're actually off your way this week. We're actually on to the big silver bird on Thursday. Oh, yes, yes. Where are and, you going? Uh, well, we're going to Long Beach for two days, uh-huh. and then we're jumping on a ship and going to Singapore. Oh. Um, on 25-day cruise through Maui, Honolulu, wow. Guam. Malaysia, Gosh. Vietnam, then Singapore. Gosh. And then and then fly home from Singapore. So Gosh. So you might so see I, some real I mean they call it the Pacific, but the chances of getting some really interesting storms are certainly coming in the next yes. Gosh. You might see yep, some interesting I, stuff. <laughs> if you if you've seen um, one of my last videos it was on our cruise to Alaska and we had a couple of rough days through there and I was down on the lowest deck with the uh, about two GoPros strapped on the side of the boat. Everybody else is running around with seasick tablets and looking for patches to put on their neck. Apparently, that stops you from being seasick. And I'm running around with a camera trying to get photos of the waves coming over the bow. <laughs> you clearly enjoy this in some very strange way, Martin Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I think it must be from my father because he was a chief engineer in the Baltic Shipping Company. Mm. And... Uh, and I remember when I was a kid and we emigrated from the UK out to Australia. Well, we went to South Africa first. Yes. So we uh, took a ship because at that time in the early 70s, uh, uh, the 707 had just come out and all my dad's mates were, oh, we, we were emigrating, but we're all going on the 707, you know. And why are you going on an old, why are you going on an old steamship, you know, yes. like, you know, you might as well row there. You use an old technology anyway. I always remember my dad turned around to me and he said, listen, he said, they get on a 707 in a day and a half, they're in Australia and they've got to find a job. <laughs> we get on the we get on the steamship 
in four and a half weeks we're in Australia. Then I've got to get a job. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> My wife so, and but I... I remember coming around uh, the Cape of Good Hope. Yes. And it's Gosh. the only time I've ever been seasick in my life. Gosh. And yes. the ship was, uh, I remember the, the, the bow was going down into the ocean and the sea was coming up to three levels up the superstructure oh. before it came back out again. I mean, I've never seen seas like that, but that yeah. was unbelievable. I've introduced my wife to Rumpole of the Bailey uh, recently, and uh, okay. I think McKern is the gentleman's name. I can't think of his first name. Anyway, he travelled by uh, Freightliner. He wouldn't fly anywhere. So he worked in the UK yep. and went to Australia, travelled by Freightliner for the latter part of his life. Spent a good amount of time in Australia and the UK and travelled like that. My wife thought that was fascinating, and you know, although I have uh, seen but never actually enjoyed the quality of ocean that you're describing. Yeah, for me, the ocean is something to be respected, let us just say. So I don't think I'll be taking any freight liners anytime soon, but it sounds like you've got a lot of interesting travel coming up. Yes, well, we've got that, and uh, I I did actually manage to wangle. uh, A friend of mine lives in um, Long Beach, uh, Mm. Mark Letesco. He's organised, I think, a trip out to someone's layout and a trip to Arnie's train shop uh, while while we're there on, on the one day we've got free in, in, in Long Beach. So as my wife said, you got one day free and you've got a model train shop hooked up already. Yeah. And I said, well, what, what can I say? But um, next year I'm looking to um, be out at uh, the NMRA convention in St. Louis. So mm. that'll, be a, that'll be a good week. The Straits of Malacca are really beautiful. You've got a lot of interesting sailing coming up, I think. Well, what do you oh, call yes. it, boating? I'm, so are you familiar I'm with the Straits of Malacca, I'm sure? Guam, yes. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Martin, it is always a pleasure. I need to talk to Richard Murphy. It's always a pleasure catching up and uh, pass my regards to all in your part of the world and look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Will do, you too. I'd like to welcome on Richard Murphy. Not in any way model rail related. I I purchased the recent uh, Shadow Spear box set for Warhammer Forty Thousand. How do you like it? To a painter, it's not the same thing. Like it's just like such a. <laughs> it's like what on earth has happened to this thing? Like these are models that look almost like you know fifty millimeter tall things, and oh yeah, no, it's it's not. And also, since we last spoke, I mean, we haven't spoken for perhaps a year or more. At I least, have, yeah. I've met Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. I was in the UK uh, a month ago. And, I saw that on your Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. and had uh, had a wonderful Indian meal with Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. We actually wandered around the corner, Steve Jackson and I, uh, to where the original Games Workshop had been. And it wasn't, I imagined, it was in an alleyway somewhere in central London, because that's just the way you look at these things, not knowing. It's off a high street. There's a private boys' school you know, a couple of blocks away. <laughs> it all worked out perfectly in terms of location. But, yeah, two very interesting gentlemen that created a number of uh, interesting things. In terms of Silicon Valley line, Dave yeah. Falkenberg, previous participant, occasional participant, now master roboticist, and I don't even know what one would describe what he's he's doing currently with robots, but he recently, I think, was operating... He had taken your... Dispatch a role at Silicon Valley Lines. This is a rotating post, right? This isn't historically right. it was your role, but now you're passing it on to others, right? Yeah. Uh, 
we ended up, um, first of all, I wanted to get out of the office and actually see some trains when I went to the club and ran trains. And so uh, the, our Nowers Yard is a fairly large yard for during our op session. And uh, we only had one uh, yard master up there. So I volunteered to be his assistant. Mm. And uh, we've not had too much trouble finding people to step into the dispatcher role. And, of course, Dave really likes it when he gets a chance to be there. Um, and uh, it's it's been nice, like I say, being able to actually run some trains and that kind of thing. And, and actually learning a different spot in the op- operations uh, uh, scheme. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit of diversity there. Uh, we have one guy that the club that's actually working on, uh, signals. Mm-hmm. We actually are getting a lot of signals in the lo- lower level. His name's, uh, Dakota Zabo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he also steps into dispatch once in a while. Cause then he gets to actually see how, uh, detection and signaling are actually showing up on the dispatcher panel. So, um, we're getting a lot of, uh, interesting new members at the club, uh, a lot younger, which is really good to wow. see. Wow, good, good. Some of them very young. Gosh. <laughs> and so uh, it's, you know, we obviously have, you know, all us, all us old guys too. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting it's, because I get, the, I get all the updates, I get the photos occasionally, but this weekend in particular I didn't even know whether I could run a model or radio, but somehow I've been able to, to see, sail the, uh, the uh, less choppy seas. From uh, okay. discussion, so yes, we are recording today, but I do really enjoy getting because Silicon. I'm still fiduciarily providing. I think maybe three memberships in Silicon Valley lines, uh, but yeah. I just don't. That whole Friday Saturday thing just doesn't really uh, exist for me professionally, and it's wonderful that uh, you know Dave's able to escape periodically and uh, get to run trains. Yeah, his thing with the robotics really has to do, I think, primarily with his son, who's Certainly. now in high school. And uh, so it's it's kind of nice for dad to be able to coach in something he's really good at and uh, the son to actually take a shine to doing that kind of stuff. I, I don't know who enjoys it more between the two of them. <laughs> he seems to enjoy it. He seems to, yeah. He seems yeah, to enjoy I, I, it. I don't think Dave's ever going to graduate from high school now. Believe me. <laughs> This so, is the whole reason people have children, right? So they can live vicariously through them indefinitely. Exactly. And then apparently grandchildren turn up and do the same thing. So, you know. Well, hopefully. Dave Dave said at one point he thought that it skipped a generation. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So in terms of your home layout, in terms of the, the wine barrels and things like that, have you, have you done much work with your home layout recently? Uh, funny you should ask. Um you know how Tehachapi Creek used to always get real live water into oh, it? Oh, yeah. It was a feature, yeah. right? That was actually a feature. Well, it's a, defe- it's a feature that's going away. Oh, uh, we're having the, the roof, uh, we're having the top side of the deck, the winery, uh, waterproofed, and it's involved actually having to replace all the sheetrock underneath. Mm, and, of course, the gosh. way my layout is, that's involved tearing down the layout. Gosh. Um, I, Don't it, say it's so. Yeah, it is. So I, I just, I really had to do it. And honestly, after about three days of thinking about it, when my contractor mentioned this, I was like, you know, it's time to redo this anyway. Yeah. Um, so are you the, sticking the, with the same prototype or are you going to rebuild it completely differently? I'm going to somewhat proto freelance. Mm, okay. I, I want to get some switching in this time around. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to spend a ton of real estate just on the loop. Yeah, the loop. And that kind of thing. I mean, for folks <laughs> listening in, 
this was a layout that was so heavily dedicated to the loop that it really was a thing of beauty, but it, and obviously the, the natural water was an addition as well. But yeah, it yeah. was, it was an enigma in our part of the world based on simplicity and use of space to represent the loop. And I always wondered if you had another layout that you were secretly planning somewhere <laughs> for the opportunity to actually roll it out. So what are you going to do with the new layout? Well, for one thing, I still need all the space for storing wine and mm-hmm. boxes of wine and that kind so, of stuff and the big lab table in the middle. But uh, the biggest change is I really want to have uh, nothing farther in reach than about a foot and a half to two feet. Um, I'm planning on having it be multi-level, but not nearly as much deck separation. Um, <laughs> the uh, the previous tallest deck was, I think, six feet two in the air, and the required least, yes. standing on a standing on a platform, <laughs> which meant that I really didn't want to go up there most of the time. And I'm finding as I get older, the threat of actually falling to the ground and uh, breaking something yes. uh, be- becomes a bit more disconcerting. Certainly, so. Um, I'm looking at about a 13 inch deck separation and kind of doing it almost as a, what is it? A more along the shadow box kind of line, mm. uh, of doing things, uh, where alternating areas of the lower and the upper deck become more prominent and are the area in which you would actually operate. Um, I'm still planning on going with union Pacific on this. Mm. Um, I'm trying to decide whether or not I'll just have uh, BNSF run-throughs or just take all the BNSF stuff to the club. Mm. And uh, then the other thing is, uh, the other things that I learned is you got to plan for lighting right from the beginning. <laughs> yes. Planning for detection and signaling right from the beginning would yes, be a real yes. great thing. Um, I still want fairly broad curves, that kind totally. of thing. Um but like I say, I really want some ops and that kind of thing. So anyway, uh, it's the planning's going along pretty well. I had to get it done to the point where I could figure out what the new uh, room lighting was going to be. Yeah. Uh, because in the past, basically, it started off as a winery, and then I added railroad to it. So there were a whole bunch of lights that were essentially in the middle of the layout that really didn't belong there. Yeah. Where the middle was the middle of peninsulas where they weren't even you couldn't even see the lights. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to all LEDs in the room and uh they'll follow the the new peninsula scheme and that sort of thing. So in the broadest sense, the layout of the base of the layout, the the peninsulas and that kind of thing is already set. I know where it, all those lights need to be. And then of course all the lights for aiding and working on wine, mm. that sort of thing. So yeah. So what's the time frame with this thing? You mean as far as the modeling time or when I'm going to start building? Well, when are you going to start building and when do you think you'll be able to start modeling? Well, I, I hope to start doing a little bit of building uh, by about uh, December. Okay. Um, we're still about ready. We're about ready to hit grape season. And uh, that usually takes a huge chunk out of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I want to be able to get out at least some of the peninsulas and maybe have enough to fiddle with some concept as far as, you know, what I want to do as far as turnouts and that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, next year we'll get into it a lot more in depth. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting news. That's very exciting news. I've always found your layout fascinating, but as I said, so completely enigmatic compared to 
I mean, even the larger layouts with less operating potential had nothing on your layout. Like, that was more yeah. aesthetic than anything, right? It was about watching the train go around more than uh, anything else. And obviously with the wine barrels and this kind of stuff, I mean, the space had to be utilized. The question I did have for you associated with the wine barrels, uh-huh. that's still a limiting factor. Are you actually going to reconfigure where the barrels are in order to make the layout more accessible in certain areas? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm concentrating the barrels and... I'm also concentrating where the pallets are hmm. and they're going to be brought forward a little bit. So the back area of the winery is basically going to be all model railroad Interesting. Um, towards that back wall where the loop was. Yeah. It's actually going to be, there's going to be a peninsula coming out the opposite direction and there'll be a long hallway back there, which will still have a good four foot wide uh, aisle because uh, when you design layouts and I'm involved, you got to figure least common denominator is a two Murph passing in the aisle configuration. Fair enough. Uh, so I like wide aisles. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> so um, that's that's the basic idea there. And yeah, it's, every time I figure this out, I have to figure out not just where to store the pallets, but also how you get them out with a pallet jack. Certainly, yes. So anyway, uh, it looks like it's going to work out really well. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm pretty excited about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it sounds phenomenal. I mean, you've got the space and you've got the potential and it sounds like, you know, once everything's sealed and, and workable again, yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating to see how you actually map this thing out. So yeah. I'm looking forward to updates. Thanks. So I did actually get one op session in on the layout. We had five operators and we had a few meets. Mm. It isn't just running a train. You have to do the meets on the way uphill <laughs> and downhill. <laughs> Fair enough. But yes. Yes. Enough of that. That's I'm done with that. That was kind of, uh, it kind of really kind of showed me how limiting things were. It was still a thrill, but mm. it's kind of limiting. Onwards and upwards. Onwards. Yes. And upwards. Richard Murphy, it's been a pleasure catching up with you again. Thank you for calling in. Please, uh, I don't know what one would say. Corral, Mr. Falkenberg, to consider oh, calling in at some stage. <laughs> the, the fact that he I'll posts that he's not calling in always frustrates me. Maybe just not post if you're not going to call in rather than announce that you're not calling in. But uh, when we have a chance to chat with him as well, I'm interested in hearing about so many different aspects. Of, he, How would one say it? Um, he, he has modeled a lot in the hobby, but unifying that into something is always a promising discussion point at least so right dave falkenberg consider yourself on notice <laughs> i will let him know <laughs> thank you very much richard murphy always a pleasure thank chatting and look please silicon valley lines at some stage i assume i'm just going to you know hemorrhage at some stage and require six months off and then silicon valley lines will be available to me as my membership will kind of continue to cascade onwards so right pass my regards to the folks in silicon valley lines i still exist i'm still in the same building i'm still uh yeah i still have the anticipation although our neighborhood is not being gentrified anytime soon there's a bit, little bit more street lighting although it's some very interesting crimes that have permeated around this area anyway always a pleasure okay. chatting richard murphy please pass my regards to all i'll talk to you soon take care take care Well, folks, let's be honest here. Model Rail Radio, the shows were getting shorter. There were being less callers. I was starting to wonder if the curse of summer had robbed me of all potential participants. And then the show came around, and we had a wide variety of callers caught up with a number of wonderful people. Had a couple of new callers, which is always good. 
I think the model rail radio format has survived the test of time, 10 years and still going strong after this recording. Wonderful to catch up with everyone today. Wonderful to get a sense of what's going on in the hobby. Just This is a important as much as it is about model railroading. It's also an important social hub for me as well. So always good catching up with folks, getting a sense of where they're at, what's happening. Obviously, a number of the participants have had wonderful summers. So that is a great thing. But as temperatures cool in the Northern Hemisphere, my hope is that we will have a number of callers to catch up, get a sense of what is going on with them, and talk to them about their model railroading hobby. Thanks to everyone for calling in today. Thanks also to the folks for listening in. Good evening. Good evening, Tom. Yeah, we'll see you later.